What's going on, everybody? And welcome into another edition of Be Shafe Daily. I am Brendan Schaefer, joining you here on Wednesday, May 4th. May the 4th be with you. Into the early morning hours, it's after midnight, May 4th. Following up on a Cardinals loss to the Royals as the offense, they did it again. Sputtering out in Kansas City on Tuesday night, the Cardinals fell to Kansas City 7-1 despite what was a pretty good start by Dakota Hudson. Looked solid, looked efficient through at least the first six innings and then went back out for the seventh and not as good there. And the bullpen kind of unraveled there in the seventh inning as well as TJ McFarland gave up a couple of runs while recording only one out. And then Woodford picked up the slack and ending in two-thirds, but also he gave up two runs. And all those came in the seventh for Kansas City, which cemented a game that the Royals just seemed destined to win as the Cardinals mustered just six hits on the night while the Royals had 15. And the offense for St. Louis just doesn't seem to have that consistency right now. And it's something that we've been talking about and we'll continue to talk about as St. Louis discusses internally what it looks like to maybe sacrifice some defense to to try and give a boost to the offense something that's been discussed and considered certainly the fans are hoping to see more offense generated perhaps by some of the young guys that the Cardinals could call up from the minor leagues Juan Yepes hit his ninth home run of the season for Memphis on Tuesday and that was an afternoon game for the Redbirds and after that he ended up getting called up to the Cardinals as St. Louis is dealing with maybe a bit of a COVID situation as, according to Jeff Jones, John Mozeliak spoke to reporters in Kansas City on Tuesday. Five positive tests among the Cardinals traveling party, three part of the medical staff and trainers, just one player, and then in a separate breath, the Cardinals added Mundo Sosa to the injured list on Tuesday. Cardinals initially tweeted Edmundo Sosa was on the COVID list. The COVID IL, they deleted that tweet. They just said injured list. They didn't give a designation. If you can remember back to 2020, that's the way things tend to go when a player prefers not to be identified. The Cardinals messed up, and I I think it's an open secret at this point. If you can connect the dots on uh, the Cardinals adding just one player, just one positive test, and uh, Edmundo Sosa also on the IL. So that's the state of things. Juan Yepes, though, is the beneficiary who makes his way to the major leagues and is expected to be in Wednesday's lineup for his debut for the Cardinals on what is now an afternoon game in Kansas City on Wednesday as weather is again expected to make its appearance rain in the forecast. And so they're trying to get this two-game series over and done with by Wednesday afternoon. That'll be the way things go at 12-15 in Kansas City. But on Tuesday's game, the Cardinals, 7-1 to losers. As I mentioned, Dakota Hudson, not a bad start. 84 pitches, got him into the seventh. Wasn't able to record an out in the seventh when the Cardinals gave up five runs, and ultimately uh, the, the loss was kind of cemented there. But listen, when you're not scoring runs, uh, you don't have much of a chance. And to that point, the Cardinals just hadn't made a lot of noise offensively. Brad Keller was pretty good for the Royals. He's been better this year than he's been historically and continued that tonight with six and a third innings of shutout baseball. Cardinals mustered four hits and three walks against him, but couldn't scratch off any runs. 
as they lose 7-1. to one. Bobby Witt Jr. for the Royals got on the board with a home run. Top prospect for Kansas City. That is his first of his major league career. It's been a bit of a lean month for Witt Jr., but he was able to get one off of Hudson there in this game. Hudson ends up going six-plus innings. It's a quality start, three runs allowed, but gave up nine hits, two walks that came later, and I mentioned the home run by Witt Jr. His ERA for the season now to 3.16. Not a bad outing by Hudson by any means, but it just it just didn't feel like he was given much of a chance to, to earn a W tonight because the Cardinals' offense just wasn't there. Tommy Edmond went two for four, batting leadoff. That's still an experiment that seems to be working out nicely. He's doing a fine job hanging around that OPS just below 900 after a two-for-four night run score. Did get caught stealing as they put up a graphic that he and Harrison Bader are among the two league leaders in the National League in stolen bases, at least coming into Tuesday night. And so it seems as though maybe a little bit of an internal competition to see who can lead the National League in steals might be one of those two Cardinals because they're at the top of the list right now. But Edmund was not able to add to his total on Tuesday, got caught stealing. I expressed some disappointment in that and said, oh, he didn't he didn't get the second bag. Tommy Tubag always gets the second bag, uh, but no Tommy Tubags in this instance for Edmund. Elsewhere in the Cardinals lineup, one for four night for O'Neill had an RBI hit. His average, though, still at 188. The OPS on the rise a little bit to 521. It had been below 500. Arenado, one for four, dips below 1,100 for his OPS, but still hitting 354. Nothing really doing for Albert tonight, 0 for 2 with a walk. Dickerson then came in after the Cardinals got into the bullpen. He didn't get a base hit. 434 is the OPS for Corey Dickerson. Andrew Kisner made the start behind the plate for the Cardinals. Yadier Molina ideally expected to be ready to go for Wednesday afternoon, but he was a late scratch on Tuesday. He was feeling ill, woke up not feeling well, took a COVID test. Reports are that that was negative. So Yachty has not been placed on the injured list, but didn't feel well on Tuesday, putting the Cardinals in a little bit of a bind in their catcher situation. St. Louis had to play with a short bench, obviously, uh, because Yepes wasn't there yet. He'll be ready to go for Wednesday, but made for a tricky situation on Tuesday night. Kisner didn't get much done offensively, did reach base via walk. Base hit for Bader, base hit for Carlson. That accounts for the six that the Cardinals had on Tuesday. Two for Edmund. And then one apiece, O'Neal, Arenado, Bader, and Carlson. Not a whole lot going on there. You still see a lineup littered with a lot of guys hitting in the 100s. Another tough night offensively for Paul Young. Had a double play that he grounded into as the Cardinals were maybe trying to mount a rally there late in that game. As uh, in the eighth inning, they they picked up their first run and then had some runners on base. The threat ended with Young. It's tough. He had one good play defensively that that was a really nice double play turn early in the game to keep things uh, within reach for the Cardinals. But it goes back to that conversation. When you're losing game 7-1 to and you're not getting the production you need from your bullpen and the starting pitching can only do so much, you have to score more runs. You just have to score more runs. You're not going to win any games. And on the days where the Cardinals don't score, we've seen that become a trend recently. Uh, you know, it's it's tough to win. you got to basically shut out the opponent as the Cardinals did against the Royals on Monday if you're going to have any hope of being able to get the job done. That was a one nothing win. Goldschmidt had the homer. Kisner had the homer that was robbed. one nothing works, but you're not going to allow zero runs to your opponents every day in Major League Baseball. Oftentimes, they're going to get you. And today, they got the Cardinals 
starting pitcher Dakota Hudson. They also got the bullpen. Not a great outing for McFarland. And Woodford just kind of had to come in and clean it up, and he, he coughs up a couple of runs as well. So where are the Cardinals going with this offense? feel like the, it's the elephant in the room, and it's the thing everybody's talking about, but the Cardinals uh, for right now are slow to act, it feels like. They're slow to make that move, to make that adjustment that could ultimately help the offense get the boost that it needs. There's no magic pill. There's no make one move and it's suddenly going to be fixed. But I feel like Cardinals fans are irritated, maybe frustrated with the lack of urgency when it comes to the offense and, and the way that the they would like to see the Cardinals address it. Because when you're not scoring runs, winning games, you're quickly going to lose ground in the standings. And that's pretty much what has happened over the last week, week and a half as the Cardinals have, have slipped offensively. They're down to 13-10 and 10 now on the season. And the Brewers have have comfortably taken control of the National League Central. Eight out of their last 10 for Milwaukee, 16-8 and eight on the season. They're up by two and a half games on St. Louis. And you're getting those games where, you know, they still split with the Diamondbacks over the weekend, got the win on Monday against the Royals. But I, it just doesn't feel like a sustainable way to keep pace with the Brewers when offensively you're not getting enough consistency there you're, you're going to win on the days where you score seven, eight runs, as we've occasionally seen the Cardinals do. I think their pitching is good enough generally to be able to win those blowouts when the offense shows up for them. But over the last week or so, you know, you're not going to get that game every time. Go back to the previous week in that Mets series where the Cardinals lose 5-2. to two. Okay, so that's two runs. Last Monday, zero runs on Tuesday. It's going to be a loss. But then they were up for 10 on, on Wednesday. So, okay, they got one. You go into the Arizona series, they score eight. That's a win. They score two. You're not going to win. They score zero. Of course, you're not going to win. And you score seven. So, two of the four, you erupt. But they, they don't seem to be able to turn those zeros and twos into the threes and fours and fives, grinding out enough offense to, to keep pace in those games. And then you get lucky with a really good pitching performance. I shouldn't say lucky, but you're fortunate that on one of the days your offense is in yet another lull, you come up with some runs on Monday, or I should say you come up with some really good pitching on Monday from Steven Matz and company, and you win that game one nothing. Back to the old grind on Tuesday, no runs. Well, I should, one run driven in by Tyler O'Neill. And it's just up and down the lineup. You don't really have any one spot that you're looking at. A lot of Cardinals fans are looking at Paul DeYoung. Understandably so. He's hitting 130. I mean, we talk about batting average maybe not meaning as much and, and offensive production down across the board in, in baseball. Last year, the Cardinals had a 725 OPS. And this year, I haven't looked in the last couple of days, but it was around 660. But last year, 725 was good enough to be dead middle. I believe the Cardinals finished 15th in Major League Baseball last year in OPS at 725, right in the middle. This year, the middle is more at about 690. Cardinals are below that. But it, it goes to show that offense around the game is down. But for the Cardinals, the decline has been even more precipitous. When you just look at the number of low batting averages, low OPS, that means you're not getting on base. You're not hitting for power. You're just you're not really doing much of anything. And DeYoung is the one a lot of people want to point to, and I get it. 
131 batting average, 451 OPS is just not going to play. But elsewhere in the lineup, you've still got Dylan Carlson at 504, O'Neill at 521. Now, both of those guys have come up. They were both below 500 a couple of days ago. O'Neill tonight ends up getting the, the RBI hit. Carlson reached base a couple of times, had a hit and a walk. So that, that boosts those guys up, respectively. Both hitting 188 on the nose, though, for O'Neill and Carlson. They've got to have those guys better. Like, Carlson was batting ninth on Tuesday. Dylan Carlson needs to be one of your your prime offensive contributors. The manager shouldn't be put into a position where he's got to consider batting you ninth if you're Dylan Carlson. This guy's supposed to be a top prospect, supposed to be a, a primary offensive contributor. When we've talked about the Cardinals letting guys go like Randy Rosarena, why did I say it like that? Randy Rosarena. When we've talked about that in the past, we've said, well, now it makes sense because they weren't going to supplant Dylan Carlson. They weren't going to, you don't want to take a, a bat like Kyler O'Neill's out of your lineup. But in the early portion of this season, the first four or five weeks or so, with those guys not hitting, it just takes on a little bit of a different tint. The, the tone, the, it just doesn't feel the same because you can't necessarily confidently make that argument of, yeah, well, the, you had these great outfielders here. And so it all worked out in the end with the way the Cardinals have handled that position over the last few years. You got to make some tough choices. And I think over the course of this year, O'Neill and, and Carlson are going to pan out, but to what degree? Because last year, O'Neill was a, a 912 OPS. He's almost 400 points below that right now. Carlson, we've never really seen make do on the, the promise of, of his offensive production, I think, for a full season with power and, and the whole nine yards. We have seen plenty of uh, spurts. He had a 780 OPS last year. That's pretty good. It's not great, but it's good. 18 home runs. And you figure he would build upon that with, with maybe a little bit more power. 437 slug. You figure he's going to be a 450 to 475 slug guy for his career. That's what I would have guessed. And then you maybe even see a little bit more growth in the on-base department. That was 343, a really good number last year. Maybe that's 350. And you add 350 to, to 460 or 470, and you've got an 810, 820 OPS guy that could be a comfortable at bat anywhere in your lineup, whether it's leadoff, batting second, batting fifth. He fits in any of those spots if he's batting like that. But batting the way he is right now, he's, he's batting ninth for a reason. And so those are spots that I think merit consideration. But the one that a lot of people want to talk about is DeYoung. And again, with the numbers, understandably so. But more so than the numbers, it's the fact that people look at the options the Cardinals have coming and, and maybe would say, there's a way to maneuver and do this. And I think especially now with Edmundo Sosa on the injured list, you could, if you were so inclined, take a shot and look at Tommy Edmund at shortstop while bringing up Nolan Gorman to play second base. You could do that. Or if you don't want to do that, you could just bring up Nolan Gorman and have him be your DH against right-handed pitching, which is going to be predominantly what you see because the Cardinals, it's something that they dealt with last year and they're doing it again this year, are one of the worst teams in baseball at producing offense against right-handed pitching. And so what did Major League Baseball and their opponents make sure to do to the Cardinals last year? They pitched righties against St. Louis more than any other team. Let me rephrase that. The Cardinals faced right-handed pitching 
at a higher rate than any other team in Major League Baseball last season. I don't, I don't see any reason why uh, opposing pitchers would throw a lefty against the Cardinals unless they absolutely had to. It's a right-handed heavy lineup, which I've always said I don't care about necessarily as long as you can hit right-handed pitching. And more often than not, you find left-handed batters more capable of doing so. And so where are we at when we're looking at the Cardinals and left-handed batting? Well, Tommy Edmonds, a switch hitter, hasn't fared as well against righties, and that's part of the reason that we've wondered, should maybe he just be a right-handed batter because he kills lefties batting right-handed, but he's come on strong. He's He's been better this season so far after getting off to a little bit of a rough start against right-handed pitching. Edmund had, had turned it around, has a home run, a couple home runs against righties, and so we've seen some positive development there from Edmund, and he's been one of the team's better hitters, so I'm not really in a, a position to to talk about that being uh, any sort of issue at this point because it's been much better than, than not only it was last year, but um, you know it's even better at this point in some ways against righties than, than Tommy Edmund's been against lefties. Batting average against right-handed pitching actually higher right now at 321. On base is much higher, although he's you know he's facing righties more frequently, but he's done a really good job this year of drawing walks as well against right-handed pitching. Ten walks against righties uh, compared to zero against lefties in 20 at bats, and so that's that's allowed him to produce. The power has not been tremendous necessarily against righties, but he does have a couple home runs there. But Edmund's been really good. Not the guy you're worried about right now, right? Dylan Carlson, switch hitter, can bat left-handed. We haven't seen a whole lot from him no matter where he's been, left or right this year. And that's pretty much it of your regular starters. That's it. And so that goes to, to partially explain why the Cardinals – felt the need to, to go get Corey Dickerson for $5 million this offseason. It's a left-handed bat that could maybe mix in as the DH. He has not worked out. And what he's also served to do, and this isn't his fault because he was brought in and, and they were you know looking to get a contract and he got one, but he's right now he's blocking Nolan Gorman. He's blocking Lars Newpar. Nolan Gorman, Lars Newpar, those guys didn't necessarily do enough in a shortened spring which understandably kind of hard to to make your mark without a whole ton of opportunities. But those guys didn't do enough necessarily to give the Cardinals confidence that, hey, we can handle the DH, the platoon with Albert Pujols, which the Albert thing came a little later, didn't know that that was going to be the case. But you kind of thought Juan Yepes from the right side, Newt Barr and maybe Nolan Gorman from the left side down the road, and that's going to be your DH primarily throughout the season. And spring training came, and the Cardinals were like, wow, we, we feel we need to go get Corey Dickerson. And then they said, we need we, we need to go get Albert Pujols, which I've got no problem with the Pujols thing. I'm okay with the sentiment of that. I think it's significant. I've been upfront about that the entire time. He's hitting OPS of 752, I believe, after tonight. Doesn't really matter. I'm, I'm cool with Albert being here. You should primarily use him against lefties, however, and try to limit his exposure to right-handed pitching just because uh, of what we've seen. But that was not the way they went with it tonight. They went with Albert against Brad Keller. And then, the, you know, over two. I think he did have a walk, though. But nevertheless, the shortened spring all kind of facilitated that into going out and making these additions. 
But to me, I think Dickerson ends up being the one that people are going to question because he's a left-handed bat that if he's not going to produce, why why waste your time with it? Go go ahead and see what Lars Newtbar has and just put him in there every single time against right-handed pitching. But he's not an option for that because he's not on the roster right now because he wasn't getting enough at-bats. Go figure. Kind of a vicious cycle. And now you don't have enough confidence in your left-handed hitting DH options to, to play them, which is Dickerson. And so you're giving those at-bats to Albert Pujols, who probably doesn't necessarily need them against right-handed pitching more often than not. He's going to be okay, but but you, you're probably looking at a capped upside in those situations. He should be in there every single at-bat there is to offer against a lefty which, again, they should be few and far between if people are paying attention to the trends against the Cardinals the last couple of years. But when you give, when you get those opportunities, Albert should take them, no question. But beyond that, look for the upside that you might have in a, in a Newt Bar or Nolan Gorman in particular who's, who's mashing the ball in Memphis and is a left-handed bat. Juan Yepes is up here now. He's going to be in the lineup on Wednesday. That's one step, right? That's one step toward being able to to see what you have in this offense. And I said it's not a magic pill. It's not going to be a quick fix. There's no guarantee that Juan Yepes comes up and rakes. There's no guarantee that Nolan Gorman comes up and rakes. But he's, you know, one of your top prospects. He's done everything there is to do at Memphis. We've talked a lot about a strikeout rate, which isn't pretty for Nolan Gorman. But at the same time, the production there with the power is is so evident that if he's a, a Joey Gallo type or, or, you know, one of those guys who's going to, be high risk, high reward, going to strike out a lot, but he'll still give you production. He'll, he'll give you a thump. If that's what he is, then decide whether or not that's something that you're going to value and, and maybe just forget about the strikeout rate. And and if you think Nolan Gorman's good as he is, then bring him up and, and let him be what he is. Because guys here are striking out too. Guys here are making outs. And as much as nobody likes to see the strikeouts pile up, the bad at bats pile up, there is something to be said for now in modern baseball. Now it's an out. And, hey, it, if you're striking out, at least it's not a double play, which we, we, we see plenty of with this Cardinals team as well. So I understand fans who say, well, why not Nolan Gorman today when Edmundo Sosa goes on the IL? The short answer is he's not on the 40-man roster. The more intricate answer that, that will allow me to editorialize a bit is that shouldn't matter. Ready to see Nolan Gorman, and, and I, I saw several comments when DeYoung made the really fine play to start the double play, which was a, a very good play. But when I saw the comments, well, you know, if you have Tommy Edmund at shortstop, you probably don't start that double play. For one, I don't know that that's true. And for two, I don't know that I care. I don't see why it matters. You you lose 7-1 to one or you, you lose 9-1. to one. What's the difference? You got to come up with ways to score runs. And you might as well find out before the All-Star break if – if the guys that you have in-house, like Yepes, like Nolan Gorman, like Newt Barr, maybe if you were to give him more opportunities once he gets back to the big league roster, find out what you have in these guys and then decide what kind of team you are and, and whether or not you need to supplement with uh, some of the, the outside possibilities that could exist come July. I don't know what route the Cardinals would be looking to go. They, they have not historically been a team that makes very many splashes at the All-Star break, especially on the hitting side, when you're talking about making a, a significant addition to your everyday lineup, doesn't seem likely, but it'd be nice to know and have had a 150 at-bat sample from a guy like Nolan Gorman 
whether or not he's he's capable of being a, a central contributor down the stretch. So we'll have to wait and see what ends up happening with the timeline for Nolan Gorman and his potential arrival to St. Louis, and maybe whether the Cardinals might soften their stance on being willing to, to switch up the infield alignment defensively. I don't know that Edmonds going to be a great shortstop. I've talked about this, but I, I think there there does come a point where you know, a game of seven runs scored and eight runs scored in a week with the other four games being two, one, zero, zero. I, there comes a point where maybe that's not a sustainable model and, and you have to try to find a spark for more consistent offense. And at, at a certain point, too, it just gets to be a sense of frustration. I think the front office probably shares this as well, where they look and they say, well, what do we have to do? We traded for Paul Goldschmidt. We traded for Arenado. We line this up for guys like O'Neill and Carlson, top-hitting prospects, to be in the corners out there. Tommy Edmond kind of has turned into a diamond in the rough where you didn't necessarily expect him to be a big offensive contributor at the big league level, but he's doing that for you this year. Harrison Bader's been okay. What, what more is there to do? Well, I mean, shortstop. That's the one position that seems to be an obvious uh, spot where you can upgrade because going into the season, it was like, a, okay, the guy's on his last leg, time to prove it, time to put up or shut up. And so far, Paul DeYoung is not put up. I'm rooting for him to do so. But that, I think, is why it's so easy because so many fans identified shortstop as a potential need in November. Not, It's not something that come May, they're just now saying for the first time, this has been talked about for a while. And so I think that plays into it, certainly, in, in the ease with which you can say, all right, well, Tommy Edmond, move him over. Let's see this guy that you've been grooming as a second baseman who's hitting home runs every other day in, in, in the minor leagues. Those aren't doing the big club any good. And, I, and again, you could bring those guys up, and it, it may not work, but you might as well try. And I think, I think it will have to inevitably get to that point. But the Cardinals might say, well, Yepes is – is the first step to that. He's already on the 40-man, and he was the, the first guy in line. So we're going to see him on Wednesday. Now that he's now that he's here, get him in the lineup, and let's see if that makes a difference. And, uh, I mean, he's I don't know what to think of Juan Yepes. Nine home runs and a 974 OPS in Memphis this year is pretty good. He got a lot of at-bats in spring, though, and didn't really do a, a very much with him. Maybe he just wasn't quite rounded into form yet, given the, the constricted nature of the spring. But, I'll be very intrigued to see what kind of player he can be because I've heard it talked about on talk radio and, and different things on Twitter where where they just kind of announce, you know, Juan Yepes as a top prospect and as a guy who could come up and be a middle order back. I, I don't necessarily see him as a middle order bat, uh, but if he's a guy that can bring a little bit of pop and can can run into one every once in a while and, and put the bat to the ball, that maybe is all it takes at this point in time where the Cardinals are scuffling offensively and, and, and kind of searching for that consistency. If he can take a consistent at-bat, that's good enough at this point in time. Don't know where he plays defensively. Kind of limited there. Came up as a third baseman. You got one of those. Maybe you could stick him at first base. You got one of those. I wouldn't put him in the outfield from what I've seen. Uh, that's that's more akin to the Jose Martinez experience in the outfield, and that isn't one that uh, I think people were too particularly fond of and for good reason. So the bat is is what can play for Yepes. I don't think he's got the prospect upside of a Gorman. 
And I also think that's why you're seeing him up here first. He might have a spot in the lineup on Wednesday, but there are going to be other days where he may be just riding the bench, and they don't want to do that with Gorman. They want to continue to get him at bats because they view him as a, a tier above. He's in that next echelon. You know, Juan Yepes, when they, the Cardinals got him for the Matt Adams trade, he was a, a teenage non-prospect, honestly, that just wasn't given a lot of thought and has just continued to hit his way into more consideration at every level. And the kid, the kid swings a good bat. And so now he's going to get that opportunity to show what he can do at the big league level. I'm excited for him. It's a good story. And ideally, he'll be able to to give the Cardinals a spark offensively. But at the end of the day, I, I think if you're comparing futures, you, you're, you're betting on Nolan Gorman to have the more significant role. But that's kind of been the story of Yepes at every level, and he's continued to, to outproduce maybe the expectations for him, has continued to hit and make a name for himself. And so I hope he comes up ready to take advantage of his opportunity, swing the bat, and see what happens on on good pitches, right? So that'll be interesting to track for Wednesday afternoon. We'll try to get back with you for B-Shape Daily to recap the Juan Yepes debut on Wednesday at Kauffman Stadium. And anything else that may go on for the Cardinals v. Royals in that one. It's just technically a two-game series that wraps up, and Cardinals won't see the Royals anymore after this one. They had the, the three-gamer at Bush that was then delayed. The finale of it was delayed uh, until earlier this week on Monday. And then they, they went and jetted across the state or bust across, whatever it is they do. I assume they drove that. That's not that far of a – I don't even know what kind of a flight you'd be able to – to get to go from St. Louis to KC. That'd be like, what, 20 minutes? But nevertheless, be interested to see now how uh, how the Cardinals finish up this series and, and seeing the Royals for the final time before then heading out west to San Francisco. It'll be Adam Wainwright on the mound Wednesday afternoon. He of the 4.00 ERA on the season. He will definitely be looking to lower that against KC. Chris Bubich on the mound for the Royals his ERA is over 10. If there were ever a day for the Cardinals to be able to to attack an opposing pitcher, it might be Wednesday. He's a left-hander as well. So that might mean Albert in the lineup. I don't know how you fit Albert and Yepes in there at the same time, but we'll see what they end up coming up with, Ali Marmol and company. But the Cardinals match lefties. You feel good about a lefty who hasn't had a lot of success this season and the Cardinals facing him. I just got done saying if you can avoid it, don't throw your lefties against the Cardinals. Pick somebody else to throw. But I guess it's Chris Bubich's turn, and so we'll see what he comes up with. But I have a feeling the Cardinals may be able to break out a little bit offensively on Wednesday. We'll check back in on Wednesday night, early Thursday morning, whenever I get around to it, to determine whether or not that was the case. But if you don't want to miss it, make sure to subscribe to B-Shape Daily, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts as well. And something I'm going to begin to start mentioning on the podcast Brendan Schaefer YouTube channel. I'll be posting B-Shape Dailies to those periodically. And then once I start actually working on building the channel more formally, do uh, some giveaways to subscribers. I've got all those giveaways that are up in the, a closet in my house from Bush Stadium giveaways over the years that uh, I, I probably could stand to to give away a few of those. So maybe, maybe a bonus if you subscribe to the Brendan Schaefer YouTube channel. You'll end up with... Uh, a chance to win some goodies. So appreciate you guys as always for listening. Subscribe where you like to subscribe and listen to content. And uh, you'll make sure you don't miss any future B-Shape Daily episodes. Give me a follow on Twitter and all social medias as well. It's at B-Shaper12 anywhere you're going to want to find me. I think that's true of 
Twitter, Instagram, Facebook.com slash B Schaefer 12, uh, TikTok as well, I think it's the same. And I've been having a little bit of fun with that. So appreciate you guys as always. And we will talk to you next time on B Shafe Daily. Peace.